code of silence. Chuck Norris lays down the law as the toughest cop in Chicago in his most dramatic film yet. Welcome to a Hollywood and Beyond special presentation. The making of Code of Silence with Mike Genovese. A behind-the-scenes, in-depth episode honoring one of Chuck Norris's finest films. Code of Silence was directed by Andrew Davis and features music by David Frank. This is host Stephen Brittingham. Enjoy the show. Eddie Cusack is a good cop. Having a bad day. I promise you, blood for blood. With a murder to solve. I want this guy Cusack. I want to know what he is, what he's doing, where he lives. I want him. Squad, this is 1462. I need backup. Hey, you don't want to be in here. I want your opinion. I'll beat it out of you. A mob war to stop. Take him apart. He's saving the world. Chuck Norris. Code of Silence. The toughest cop in the world just got tougher. Welcome to Hollywood and Beyond Podcast with Cincinnati host Stephen Brittingham. Experience meaningful and in-depth interviews with Hollywood's most interesting people. Enjoy the show. You can receive all the latest episodes of Hollywood and Beyond with Stephen Brittingham delivered to your favorite listening device by subscribing to the show on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or whatever happens to be your favorite podcast listening service. Don't miss out. Tune in. Welcome to a Hollywood and Beyond special presentation. The making of Code of Silence, volume number one, featuring Mike Genovese. As Tony Luna, Mike gave a gritty performance as the leader of an organized crime syndicate based in the heart of Chicago. During the opening moments of Code of Silence, Tony Luna, along with a handful of his gang members, all posing as painters, shoot up members of the Camacho gang in a wildly intense scene from a neighboring building. Right feels clear. Those painters are out of the way. What are you talking about? Got a crew of painters went into the building next door. Gonna have painters in there for they're gonna wreck that building. Call them in. Jump Street, let's move, move. The consequences are far-reaching. A dead undercover cop in a botched-up steam operation with only one surviving member of the Camacho gang. This all results in a war between the two clans, the Camacho organization, and the Italian-American organization. Henry Silva portrays the man in charge of the Camacho organization in a remarkable performance. Los Camachos sabemos quiénes son, Luis. Luis, the war does no good for any of us. It can only make what's bad worse. Get them out of here and fix them up. I want them beautiful for their mother. My brothers, I promise you blood for blood. The streets of Chicago would be the battleground of this gang war. 
Chicago cop Eddie Kuzak, portrayed by Chuck Norris, is determined to bring down both criminal organizations, even if this meant doing so in rogue style. Want to take on the whole world by yourself? Now you're going to get your chance, Kuzak. It is my honor and pleasure to welcome Mike Genovese to the show. Mike, welcome to Hollywood and Beyond, sir. Thank you so much. Well, it's so nice to be having you here today. I really appreciate you uh, be willing to discuss Code of Silence with me. Uh, thank you so much. And I'll tell you what, Mike, back in the summer of 1985, when Code of Silence was released... Uh, my friend and I decided to go see a matinee on a Saturday, and he suggested that we sneak in to see Code of Silence because we weren't quite at the age where we could do so uh, on our own with this being an R-rated film. After the, <laughs> and, and let me tell you, after the film was over, he, I remember he turned to me and he said, aren't you glad that we did this? And my response was, hell yes, I'm glad we did this. That was awesome. So I wanted to share with you that I actually got to see the film on the big screen uh, with my friend in that manner. Breaking the law, as it were. <laughs> this is true. This is very true. And, and that was the first time that I saw Chuck Norris on the big screen. You know, it's very interesting, Mike, before we discuss your character and memories of working on the film. If you go back just a few years, Chuck was really on the rise. And I say that because Lone Wolf McQuaid, in my personal opinion, really helped put him on the map in a really big way. Uh, such an incredible film with David Carradine as the villain, a tremendous showdown at the end, and then you had Missing in Action and a sequel to Missing in Action rather quickly. That used to happen back in the 80s. Sometimes sequels would have come out very quickly, and then we come to Code of Silence. So my first question to you, Mike, is uh, how did you feel knowing you would have an opportunity to be working with Chuck Norris, or at least in the same picture, and what was your audition experience like for the role? I don't remember the audition experience. Uh, I know that... Uh Chuck Norris was a high-recognized uh, uh, celebrity at the time because of uh, not only his movies, but because of his uh, uh, martial arts uh, uh, expertise as well. Uh, I think uh, already by that time he had established uh, his, uh, I think, chain of uh, dojos uh, around the country in uh, various cities, uh, so yeah, it was uh, it was it was it was uh, you know something that I thought would be uh, you know uh, a good thing to get myself involved in, and uh, I had just moved recently to Los Angeles, and so uh, going back to the Chicago to the Midwest. Uh, was also uh, a nice perk because uh, it's one of those things, you know, when you move someplace uh, that is so culturally different, uh, it's nice to sort of put your toe back in the water where you came from. So, yeah, I was, I, I was excited to do the movie. Yeah, and I, uh, I knew a number of other people in the movie uh, from Chicago days, and uh, I also was impressed by being in the movie with uh, people like Henry Silva. Uh, and, uh, and uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's kind of my feeling about it. But, yeah, as far as the audition process, I have no memory of that. Thanks for sharing that, Mike. Uh, was the entire film actually shot on location in Chicago? Uh, as far as I know, it was, unless there were, you know, some uh, things that they did post-production, you know, uh, having to reduce some scenes. But as far as I know, the entire film uh, that I was involved in was shot in and around Chicago. Yes. 
As I described in the opening uh, introduction segment of this episode, uh, the film is very atmospheric with a lot of fantastic shots of downtown Chicago and, 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 and that uh, uh, score that really reaches out and, and grabs you. Um, so there's a lot of appealing elements to this film right from the get-go. You have to remember that uh, Andy Davis, who directed the film, uh, grew up in Chicago. So he had already sort of established himself, and uh, he was he was uh, he was and uh, is you know like a true Chicago native you know somebody who loved the city and loved the uh, you know the, the 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 atmosphere and the look of the city. So he was he was he was well versed in uh, knowing what his concept was and then taking it and putting it in the very into the various parts of the city. Sure makes a big difference when you are connected to the area of filming, the location, like you just described. So it's, it, right. that really yeah. explains why so many of those shots just seem really uh, so well made. Uh, he, did a, he did an outstanding job of the whole film. I, I really enjoyed his approach uh, as a director. He had a great way of, of keeping the drama going. And these side stories, along with the action, and and I really liked how that all came together. And Mike, you right, were a yeah. part of. A, I mean, talk about starting a film in a really intense way. I mean, they, I mean, it sets the tone. Uh, you, you, your character, uh, Tony Luna, shows up as I described with a few other uh, men from the organization posing as painters. Uh, unbeknownst that there's already a stakeout going on, uh, uh, an undercover operation with the Camacho gang in another building right across from it. Well, you know what? Your character and, and, and the other uh, uh, men in the scene shoot up the place and, and, and commit a robbery and, and, and go from there. But I just wanted to ask you, what were your thoughts on, on shooting that scene in particular? A couple of things about that scene. Uh, first of all, I mean, it appeared that it was an abandoned building, but actually it was uh, uh, an apartment building that uh, this was like a vacant apartment, but the rest of the building, you know, uh, people were living in it. Uh, and uh, the, 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 the room that we shot in, or where we started, our gang starts, was, uh, you know, not a big room. I don't know, maybe 12 by 12, something like that. And it was painted in uh, what, what jokingly at the time was referred to as... Uh, uh, that it, Chicago, all of those, a lot of the apartments in Chicago at the time were painted this sort of, you know, puke, uh, carriage green, this sort of light, sort of pukey looking green. And uh, it was, the room had a nice sort of atmosphere on its own uh, and was in need of a paint job, actually. But uh, a couple of things about that. Uh, the first thing was when we fired off all the guns uh, to start the scene before we, you know, cross over into the other building. Uh, it was an old building and had been around a long time and was in a somewhat run-down neighborhood. And when all of the uh, gunfire uh, uh, commenced, uh, I remember standing in the middle of the room watching roaches just sort of, you know, come out of the wall, come out of the woodwork, and just sort of, be, you know, like being frozen in the middle of the room, just watching all of these roaches, you know. And uh, so there's that part of it. And then the, uh, the, uh, the second part was when we made the transition, because what I think there was like three, three or four stories uh, up, and uh, they had put a put across from the building that we were in to the building that we were uh, going over to after we shot up the place. They put these uh, 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 painter uh, extension uh, platforms from our building to the building across. And that was a distance of about, I'm thinking, uh, 10, 12, I don't know, something, something in the neighborhood of like, you know, 10 or 12 feet. I can't remember exactly. 
but I know that uh, they. I, I watched the uh, the uh, the uh, stunt team put that all together and tie it down, and uh, you know get it all ready for us. And they said, "Okay, now we're going to do the scene, and you're going to go over there." And I went, "No, no, 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 no." I said, uh, "I have I have no idea how safe that is out there because I didn't see anybody on the uh, on the rigged up platform." between this building and the other building. And I asked, uh, you know, I want to see somebody out there. I want to know it's safe. And I remember whoever it was, uh, the stunt coordinator or one of the stunt uh, performers that he was working with got out there. And I think it was probably about, uh, I think uh, I told you the distance between buildings and it was probably about six feet, eh, probably about six feet wide. And he got out there and uh, literally sort of jumped on it like a trampoline to show us that it was safe and sound, uh, that we could make the transition from, you know, the one building to the other. And uh, that's, that's, that's kind of my memory of that uh, particular scene. Uh, but, yeah, yeah, that was, that was something where it's like as an actor, you go, wait a minute, wait a minute, uh, uh, I want to. I want to take my safety into my own hands, because we know too many actors who haven't done that and have ended up being uh, seriously injured. Uh, so uh, yeah, that's 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 the story about that. And then the guy, uh, the guy who was the sort of leader of that particular group of uh, Colombian drug dealers sitting in that room. Uh, the leader of that group was a guy named Ron Enriquez. And Ron and I, uh, oh, up until probably, I don't know, maybe half a dozen years ago, Ron and I used to run into each other. Uh, there's a restaurant out here uh, in uh, uh, Eagle Rock neighborhood of Los Angeles, Columbus. And uh, we would run into each other over there on occasion. And because uh, we also had a connection with... Uh, that he was from a town near Santa Fe, New Mexico, where uh, my son went to college at St. John's University. So, yeah, we would run into each other. And Ron, uh, besides being an actor, uh, is a, uh, a neighborhood youth activist. And uh, he was a professional boxer. He was in a program, a youth boxing program, uh, to get, you know, kids uh, in the neighborhood, you know, to... Uh, funnel their 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 excess uh you know you know teenage energies into something you know that sort of let them get off steam and learn a few skills and learn some discipline oh, so yeah he was, uh, he was yeah 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 he's good man good man bad. but yeah it's been it's been probably about a half dozen years since i've run across uh ron and i have crossed paths but anyway well, the film was casted so well, and, and he had a great look for his role. You know, sometimes, Mike, you know, a person just, they're a great actor, but they also look like they're playing the, 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 the perfect role for them. And, and he did a really great job in the film. Um, and thank you for sharing all of that. Um, was that how you met him? Was working on the film, or had you known yeah, him before? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. I met him. I met him working on the film, and then, like I say, or as I said, uh, we would uh, run into each other occasionally uh, in uh, Los Angeles because I was living in that neighborhood, and I don't know if he lived in the neighborhood or, or he just came to the neighborhood for whatever reason. But we would run into each other occasionally at uh, this uh, this restaurant. Well, I appreciate you sharing uh, a lot that. of the people, a lot of the people in the film, uh, probably the biggest part of the, uh, of the, the, the smaller, not smaller roles, but the, uh, the, uh, sort of co-star roles. I mean, you had Chuck Norris, you had Henry Silva, Burt Ramson, who was the, uh, the lead cop, uh, I'm yes. to think. almost, almost everybody in the film were uh chicago uh chicago uh, uh natives uh, and uh a lot of them either uh chicago actors or uh chicago uh police uh because that was like one of dennis farina's first films 
Yes. And, uh, and I'm trying to think there were, there were like two or three other, uh, uh, guys in the film playing, uh, uh, police that were Chicago police. And then because Andy Davis, the director grew up in Chicago, uh, one of the things was that his father at that time, uh, was uh, a very recognizable, and uh, often used uh, actor in Chicago, Nate Davis, uh, who was the uh, the the boss of the uh, mob gang in uh, Code of Silence, and so Nate had this sort of big connection in terms of Chicago talent, and so uh, the, the casting director, I forget who she was at the time was also very tuned into the Chicago theater scene. And, uh, so, so there were a lot of Chicago actors that were brought on and ended up being in the film like myself. So it all blended very well together. Yeah. Yeah. Because, because not yet besides those, those few, you know, sort of, uh, star names that came out of, uh, uh, Los Angeles. Uh, almost everybody else in the film were Chicago natives or had, like myself, lived there for a long enough time to sort of, you know, know the city so that it was very comfortable for us to be in whatever neighborhoods we were and understand those neighborhoods and how to sort of, you know, place ourselves as characters in those neighborhoods, whether it was the, you know, the gritty apartment building where all the roaches came out on the wall or it was out on the, uh, sort of West side where the, uh, the bigger, uh, the bigger, nicer, uh, homes where, you know, my character lived in that neighborhood. So, so that, that there was, there was this, this, this familiarity with the city that I think also helped the actors make for that atmosphere that Andy wanted to, you know, uh, uh, capture, you know, in terms of the geography and the look of the city. He certainly succeeded, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. I'm wondering, Mike, um, do you recall, just out of curiosity, that, that that's a very important scene, how many takes or how many days it took to actually film um, uh, that uh, opening segment? My recollection is that we did it in, uh, in, in the first day. I see. Uh, although I can't, I can't swear to that. Uh, I just know that I don't remember. Be- now it, we use the building in other in 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 other scenes, so I that see. we use the building more than one day. But in terms of that opening scene, I don't remember it being more than just that one day, because later on, I think uh, Ralph Foodie. Uh, who played one of the cops. Uh, he's the one who accidentally shoots somebody. And uh, that's, that's part of the code of silence in terms of the uh, police side of the uh, code of silence. But that building uh, was used, that hallway was that same building. And then later on, there's a chase that happens where people are running up the back stairs uh, I think Chuck Norris is chasing somebody. I can't remember right off. It's been a while since I've seen the film, but that was the same building. So the building was used a lot. Uh, there, there's, there's the whole sort of stakeout thing that's going on in front. So, so the building was used a lot, that, that particular neighborhood up on the north side. Well, uh, shortly after uh, this uh, intense scene, your character is seen at his uh, residence and just a, you know, good old fashioned, uh, nice, but, you know, maybe upper middle class neighborhood, so to speak. And uh, your character's wife is celebrating her birthday. And uh, you're not wasting any time, your character, because he's very uh, nervous about the fallout of what he had done. And it becomes clear that Tony did this on his own. Uh, this wasn't planned with, um, you know, uh, with orders from above. He did this on his own, and uh, he basically is going to be getting out of town and laying low for a while. I'm very excited, Mike, to ask you about uh, an actress. She was very young at the time, of course, and and I would see her a lot throughout the 
uh, 80s in particular, such as Fresh Horses, and she was even Molly Miss... Hagen. Yes. She was even Miss Molly Ellie Hagen. on Dallas the early years, so <laughs> she was all yeah. over the place, and I've always wanted to ask someone what it was like working with her, so I thought I would go ahead and, and ask you now what your um, recollection of working with Molly was. Oh, Molly, no, it was, uh, no, it was enjoyable. I, I, I don't recall having that much to do with her. Uh, I believe that might have been the only scene where I actually, uh, she and I worked together. Uh, but uh, again, uh, Molly is an actress who has sort of made a career and has sort of, you know, held on through this sort of crazy uh, business where, you know, you sort of age out. And, you know, it's that whole sort of, you know, w w woman over 30, uh, my wife, for instance, you know, uh, it, it's like, you know, if, if you know, Hollywood has <laughs> Hollywood has this sort of, you know, age image of what, you know, people look like. And it's especially detrimental to women. But Molly has been one of those who is like, you know, held on and uh, stayed stayed rele relevant. And it's like whether it's a movie or a film or uh, you know a, a theater piece, you know she she she's in there. She's she's still in there swinging, and uh, she's a good actress. And we we just recently, uh, probably in the last I don't know six months, uh, reconnected because uh, I wasn't really in touch with her after the film. But uh, it seems to be like in the last six months, uh, she and I became friends on Facebook through some discussion that, you know, we were having, and she sort of joined in and went, oh, yeah, I remember you, you know, kind of thing like that. <laughs> but no, no, just no, no, choice, choice. Yes. She's, I'll tell you what, she, I find her to be very appealing, anything I ever see her in. And she was oh, yeah. a huge uh, factor of Code of Silence because, you know, she is the character that, you know, is is, is so innocent in all of this. She's not a part of this. Yeah. And, and she's right. caught up in right. it. And ironically, Mike, as you know, Chuck winds up protecting her, you know, yeah. in kind of an unexpected twist that he's protecting your character's daughter. And what an outstanding performance by Molly. And I appreciate you sharing that. I, I really enjoyed your brief scene with her, but it was very good, very well done. I cannot believe you. Nothing's changed. Today's mom's birthday. She deserves better than this, and so do we. The scene at our house... Uh, at Tony Luna's house, and the whole thing about the uh, the uh, 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 the woman that played my wife, Trish Schaefer, uh, it being her birthday, and uh, knowing that the heat was on, uh, Tony Luna's character, uh, very what's what's the word? Perfunctorily, I think that's the word. Sort of, you know, slams the. Uh, the birthday gift, uh, in her, uh, into her, you know, midsection and says, you know, here, happy birthday, gives her a kiss and he's out the door. You're starting a war. You're putting a whole outfit on the line. They're probably out looking to start your uncle right now. You keep your mouth shut. What Mr. Scalise don't know won't hurt him. Happy birthday. And I found out later from my mother, uh, who, after she watched the film and she went, you know, that happened in our family. And it wasn't exactly in our family, but it was a sort of relations relation. And uh, there was a point at which uh, he was uh, sort of under investigation and at one point, apparently, uh, the FBI or whoever, you know, were coming in the front door. And apparently it happened pretty much the same way. It was like, here's your present. Goodbye. I'll see you later. Boom. And he was out the back door. But I didn't find that out until after the fact. Isn't that something so, else? Wow. Life imitating, life imitating art. <laughs> That's a perfect <laughs> art, example. Art, art, or, or art imitating life. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, no doubt. And then, about and, then, it. and then, and then, and then the other thing about that scene too, you brought up Henry Silver, and uh, 
that's one of the experiences that I remember so clearly was looking into his eyes and, and, and sort of, you know, dealing with him and those eyes that were just, you know, sort of killer and focused, you know, those, those, those incredible eyes that he had. Anyway. Oh, yeah, yes. That's, that's a very intense. And um, I'll tell you what, to me, Henry Silva makes an exciting villain. I remember in the theater just going, wow, this guy is dangerous. I mean, your character oh, yeah, was dangerous, yeah. but Henry yeah. just uh, you has that uh, approach where you do not want to mess with this man. E- even the scene right, in the lim- right. limo, Mike, remember when he comes by uh, dur- after the funeral mm-hmm, and stops mm-hmm. and stares at your character's family? That yep, gave me yep. chills. Yep, 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 yep. The, the, the difference between Tony Luna's sort of, you know, manic, uh, you know, physical presence and somebody like, uh, not somebody like, but Henry Silva's character with that stillness that, you know, uh, it's, it's, it's that sort of less is more uh, quality that, that, that he, he possessed as an actor. You know, I think of a, a scene. Uh, it's interesting how I remember these things, Mike, but there's just certain moments from a film that tend to stay with me. And there's a scene with Henry and Chuck, their first encounter. In in the morgue, and Henry and his clan is walking by, and Chuck is there, and 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 Henry's character tells him that one day he's going to give him a Colombian necktie, and how beautiful yep. it would look on him. And Chuck's response mm-hmm. was, "Why don't you just give it to me right now?" Hey, I can talk to you. One day, I would like to give you a gift of a Colombian necktie. Very special. You slit the throat, pull out the tongue, and I knew <laughs> it was not beautiful. Why don't you give it to me right now? That's also what I love about Chuck Norris, especially growing up in the 80s, was those kind of moments. <laughs> Chuck yeah, was like, yeah, fine, yeah. why don't you just do it right now? Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, again, that, that, that sort of... Uh... Not not unlike Henry's uh, character and persona, but Chuck Norris's uh, character and persona of being this very sort of, you know, still energy that suddenly explodes. Yes. And uh, putting 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 those two together on film was, you know, uh, you know, you don't want to overuse it. uh, Stroke of genius, but certainly a decision well made by Andy. Well, I'll tell you what, again, what what an outstanding uh, job as director and overseeing this project. Now, did you get to spend um, any amount of time with Henry, any uh, uh, quality amount of time while filming? No, 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 no. I think uh, I'm not sure, but uh, but but Henry may have been on one of those schedules where, you know, I'm coming in and I'm shooting from here to here because I have another job and I'm coming from another job. It may have been something like that, but uh, I don't remember him being around uh, the, the, the shoot that long. I see. And your characters really never had a scene together. No, 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 no. The, so the, they- the, 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 the encounter that I had with him was uh, sort of a person-to-person talking in uh, Tony Luna's residence. And uh, there was there was some uh, some scene that was going to be done later, so uh, Henry was around, and we just sort of you know did a little uh, sort of you know face to face you know talking, uh, just you know conversational you know person to person kind of thing as opposed to character to character. But the eyes, that's it, the eyes, the eyes. You know, that's that's what I remember. Well, well said, Mike. Thanks for sharing your. Uh, thoughts on on Henry and his on screen presence. Um, I, I completely agree with you, and and I would like to add that Chuck, uh, as you know, he had wonderful opportunities. For example, with David Carradine and Lone Wolf McQuaid and Soon Taku and Missing in Action to the beginning, because you knew there was going to be a huge showdown at the end, and and um, whenever he was paired against a. Uh, 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 a foe such as Henry Silva, it always resulted in fireworks. So thanks for sharing yeah, yeah, that. Yeah, 
Yeah, yeah. And the gentleman uh, that can... uh, your character, you, you know, was instructed to protect, you know, Molly or her character uh, in the home. Yeah. Like, you know, I'm getting out of town and, uh, I, I, you know, I want you to protect her and watch the house. And, and you told me a very interesting story about the gentleman uh, uh, before we started the interview today. Uh, you mean Lou Damiani? Lou Damiani, yes. Uh, Lou Damiani, I, I, I don't know if he ever did anything uh, besides the film. Uh, I think it was one of those situations where maybe Andy knew him uh, from out here or, or he was recommended. But as I said before, there were a lot of uh, sort of uh, real, real people playing uh, their roles. And in Lou's case, Lou was, uh, uh, in real life, a private detective. And I remember for, <laughs> he gave me a card at one point and it was like one of those sort of, you know, uh, you know, junior G men kind of thing like that, you know? So now I, I, I am a part of, you know, Lou Damiani's private detective firm, which was, you know, <laughs> You know, just t- t- totally ceremonial. There was the, the, there was never yes, anything yes. done. But, uh, but uh, yeah, you wouldn't yeah, have to was, do uh, real work. Is that right, Mike? No, 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 no. <laughs> I only act like I only act like a bad guy. You know. And, and, but yeah, yeah, no, no. Lou was a real private detective, and I, I guess it's somebody that Andy knew, uh, and uh, decided that uh, that sort of look and that sort of you know uh, big goomba you know, look about, you know, one of the sort of uh, lower echelon mob guys who was around for his muscle. And I'll tell you what, uh, that was a gr- I mean, again, even though it was a brief scene, Mike, you made the most of your moments because, uh, you know, talk about on-screen presence. You certainly had it in that film. And I remember, uh, you know, I just... Uh, how uh, strongly you told him what to do. And, and he was, his character was like, he just could not believe that a war would be started over this. And uh, it was mm-hmm. just a great scene. And then of course his character suffered uh, quite a grisly fate um, later yep. on in the film. Uh, goodness. But uh, wow. Isn't yep. it interesting, Mike? And you are the perfect person to, to bring this up. Isn't it interesting that when you go on a film or a television project, if you're shooting on location, it's some of the locals, some of the local actors or people, let's say, like you said, real life cops or real life detectives that, that they bring something unexpected to the project. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. Well, 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 for instance, Dennis Farina, who by that time was already uh, involved in uh, the, uh, the, uh, the, the, the acting uh, side of his career. Uh, I think, let's see, I'm trying to remember, because I think maybe his first film was uh, The Thief, uh, the one with uh, uh, James Caan that Michael Mann directed also shot in Chicago. And I think that was Dennis's first film. I'm not altogether sure. And then I know a few of the other, uh, uh, uh policemen in the, uh, code of silence. I think they had also from time to time worked on other films. Uh, Dennis at the time, I think was, uh, either he was still on the force or he had just retired from the force. And a lot of the guys uh, that were the real policemen, playing policemen, were part of uh, what I think was the sort of uh, intelligence uh, division of the Chicago Police Department. There's a scene, a couple of bad guys, one of them played by a a Chicago actor, Dennis Cockrum, walk into a bar uh, with the intent of robbing it. And they, you know, you see them prepping out in the car and they, yes. so they finally get their courage up and they walk into the bar and it's like, okay, this is a <laughs> stick up. And it turns out it's a cop bar. Yes. I mean, there's nobody but the cops, cops in there <laughs> and all the cops and all the cops draw their guns. Well, that came from, that came from, uh, uh an actual event that, uh, Dennis, uh, later on, I found out, uh, from him that came from an actual, you know, instance uh, in the uh, Chicago area. An and, actual and occurrence. 
Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, a couple of guys walked into a top bar. Whoops, wrong bar, wrong bar. Things not going in the direction that you anticipated. That that would be a prime right, example. Right. You described it so well. All the cops brought out their guns, and and basically yeah. that was it. All right, get your hands up. Hey, which you two guys is the brains of the outfit? They didn't stake it out maybe quite as well as perhaps they should have. And, they, and that, no, that that's no. a really, uh, you know, that's a, a moment in the film that maybe, it, you know, is very unexpected. I, I remember when I was watching it, I was like, this is a really cool scene. But I did not yeah. see it coming at all. It was just, it was a spontaneous kind of moment. Um, very well uh, shot. I remember, Mike, uh, again, I remember these things. When they were showing trailers on television uh, for Code of Silence, they would show show that scene a lot uh you know mm-hmm. and i remember going oh wow this is going to be interesting well um thanks for sharing that and uh i wanted to ask you about the um gentleman that was above your character your your character's uncle and you mentioned him earlier and and i just wanted to know what it was like um the the, the final scenes that you had were with nathan in the limousine uh when chuck yeah, shows nathan, up and there's yeah, the yeah. big car chase that was a, a yeah. very exciting scene yeah, the uh, the uh, uh, that character Nate Davis uh, is the father of Andy Davis, who directed the film. And Nate came into uh, acting sort of later in his life. Uh, I'm trying to remember, he either was business wise before he became an actor. He was either I'm confusing him with another actor in Chicago, so I can't quite remember. He was either a pharmaceutical salesman or he was, he had his own extermination business uh, for not for people, but for, you know, insects and rodents. Uh, And so, so he came into it uh, uh, after, you know, this, this other career. And uh, Nate was at the time a real popular actor around Chicago, uh, not only in theater, but also in uh, film and television, once it started coming into Chicago. And uh, Nate, again, had this, you know, really sort of cool, you know, centered presence. And so uh, my, my, my best memory about the, uh, that, that scene where the two of us end up dying in the uh, limo is uh, by now the car has been turned upside down and I think it's starting to flame up. Yes. And so we're in the car, we're in the car upside down, you know, sort of laying there. And Andy, the director, Andy Davis, is coming over to the car and he's giving us direction. But the difference between him giving his father's direction and giving me direction, I mean, was like night and day. Because when he would talk to his father, it would be, okay, Dad, I want you to move your left arm a little bit and sort of roll your head a little bit this way so it's more on camera. Mike, would you do Okay, whatever you say, Andy. Okay, now, Dad, this is what I want you to do, Dad. Okay, Mike, I want you to... It was like, oh, okay, you know, this is cool. This is cool. You know, you got, you got to respect... You know, you got, to, you got to respect your pops. So, yeah, you sure that, do. That, 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 that was that was my best memory of that scene. Besides, for the first besides for the first time ever seeing uh, a pipe ramp, uh, where there's a there's there's a pipe that uh, catches uh, as the car is driving, as the limo is driving, uh, and uh, uh, it the 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 passenger side front wheel hits this pipe that's now been rigged and it's on a long diagonal so that eventually the car is going to go up this pipe ramp. And as it goes up the pipe ramp, it starts rolling over, to, you know, on, onto the driver's side and finally ends up, you know, upside down. And I can't remember the stunt driver on that, but uh, he was, uh, as I recall, he was one of the, was one of the top sort of stunt drivers uh, you know, during that time. 
uh, I wish I remembered his name, but I, but I can't, I want to, I want to say it might've been the same guy who did the, uh, the car stunts in uh, bullet, but I'm not, but I'm not oh, altogether, wow. I'm not altogether certain about that. I see. Well, it was a very well-made, um, you know, chase scene. I mean, uh, it, right, you yeah. know, uh, because there, because your character is starting to figure out that maybe um, <laughs> the consequences of his actions is that, that he's going to be done in. I mean, that's kind of the impression that I think I was getting, and I think your character did because he took matters into his own hand. It happened, you know, of course, at night downtown in Chicago and uh, where the actual wreck occurred. Uh, is on uh, a street called Lower Wacker Drive, and it runs along the Chicago River, and it's one of those uh, sort of uh, 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 two-level two, two level, uh, uh, streets. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's very, it's, you know, it's very sort of, you know, spookily lit, and it's right off the river, it's right next to the river, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And do you recall, Mike, the, the moments before the chase when uh, Eddie Kuzak uh, is in his car, which I always thought he had a really cool car, and um, oh, yeah. uh, Chuck gets the call that or, or, or the notification about what's going on, and, and instead of just turning his car around in a normal way, he drives the car backwards at a high speed, yep, 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 half, yep, I mean, yep. down the entire street, and then turns it around. I thought that was such a cool shot. Yep, yep. Well, yep. now, um, you've you know, been mentioning and saying so many wonderful things about the director of Code of Silence, Andrew Davis. And, wow, I mean, talk about a man with incredible talent. He would go on to direct uh, The Fugitive with Harrison Ford and, and other action films like Above the Law and, um, I mean, uh, Under Siege. I mean, wow, uh, even A Perfect Murder with Michael Douglas. I mean, very talented director. Uh, you've uh, shared some uh, moments with him, but I just wanted to ask you, if there, is there anything else you would like to say about your experience working with Andrew? Uh, let me see. Let me see, because I, I, I wrote a couple of things down. I, I, I think that one of the, one of the, one of the reasons why, in, in my mind, I haven't seen all of the films, but it certainly uh, uh, is, is, I think, one of Chuck Norris's best films. And I think that's because there was such a focus on storytelling and, and that, that Chuck Norris's character wasn't the sort of total uh, 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 hero, uh, that, that there, there were a lot of complications that he had to deal with. It wasn't, it wasn't as... Uh, 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 this or that, uh, the black or white, that, that there were complications that went into the telling of the story, uh, uh, unforeseen uh, uh, situations that he had to deal with. And I remember the, uh, 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 if you remember, and if I remember correctly, there is less fighting uh, by Chuck Norris in terms of showing off his martial arts skills in that film than I think maybe any other of the films that he has done. And I, the, 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 the big fight scene, as I recall, where his talents were shown uh, was in the, uh, the pool hall scene. And uh, as I, again, as I recall, the guys that they brought in, uh, the, the, the background uh, 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 actors for that scene, they were from a weightlifting club. And so that's, that, that scene, I think, was a two-day shoot uh, in, in that pool hall. And I remember after I heard the story. I wasn't, I wasn't present for it. But I heard the story that after the second day uh, of that long fight scene, uh, one of the uh, one of the uh, uh, main guys that Chuck was fighting sort of was like, you know, walking in uh, that, the second day, kind of holding on to his chest and kind of, you know, looking kind of puny. And I think at one point, as I heard the story, Chuck said you know what's wrong 
And the guy said, well, I, you know, it, it, I'm, I'm, I'm a little sore here. It kind of hurts a little bit. And Chuck said, well, yesterday when we were doing the scene and I was like, you know, pulling my punches, uh, I kept asking you, are you all right? And he went, yeah, yeah, I know. I know. He said, but you mean it was really hurting? He went, yeah. He said, well, why didn't you tell me? He's like, well, that's what I thought it was supposed to do. <laughs> so, so yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so wow. that, that, there was that. Yeah, yeah, there was that. So, and, and, uh, just, just another thing that I recall was that again, for years after, uh, I did the film, I was in touch with Chuck's stunt double, a guy named Dar Benjamin, who was in the business. So oh, maybe up until about, 15 years ago and uh as i recall he was she was uh, there was a guy there was a scene somewhere in that uh opening painters shooting colombian scene there was somebody that went down a drain pipe or there was a scene where yeah. somebody what you know right uh -huh. and that was dar yes. That was, yeah, 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 that was Dar Benjamin who did that. But uh, he, he very, I mean, very, 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 very similar in features to, uh, to, uh, to Chuck Norris. And yeah, yeah, for years. Anyway, yeah, yeah, he, he used to, actually, he used to live right down the street for a long time. I think he finally moved to Wisconsin uh, because he had family up there. But uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And you nailed it on the head. Uh, I really appreciate you sharing the story of that scene and, and some additional um, uh, information about that big bar scene. And, and, and you know what? You're absolutely correct. Story uh, and several stories uh, made a huge difference. And, and when you put the direction and the music and the talent of the cast and crew, it just all turned yeah. out nicely. But I'll tell you what, the, yeah. that scene is a part of film history, Mike, because it is one of the few scenes where Chuck Norris has basically been outmaneuvered. Granted, yeah, yeah. he was taking on 60 guys, or it sure looked like it, 40 <laughs> to 60 guys, and it took a pool ball. So that's cheating, because at first he was taking on all of these guys. I'll tell you what, that scene is phenomenal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that scene That scene is like, uh, oh, God, what's that other one that I did, uh, the, uh, oh, the movie about the... Uh, uh, bank robbers who wear president's masks. Uh, oh, point uh, break. Point break. Yes, point break. Point break. That that scene sort of rivals the parachute scene, the parachute jumping yes. scene in Point Break. It's one of those. It's it's one of those. It's it, it's you know. It's like you know an old time bar barroom you know western fight. You know where it's just like you know it it it, it, it it's it's so well choreographed. And looks so real, you know, that, that you just go, wow, way to go, stunt people. Way to go, stunt coordinator. Way to go, all you people that have those skills. Anyway. And Mike, in the wrong hands, and what I mean is, if a director took a different approach, right, and, and made the scene maybe a bit too macho, I mean, granted, it, it is a macho scene, but uh, there is a certain sense of that Chuck is really, really uh, outnumbered here and that maybe things aren't going to go the way, you know, they might usually. And that's right, what happened. Right, right, but is, right, isn't right. it important to have a director that understands that? Because in the wrong hands, they could have just made it where Chuck just kind of threw everybody around and took them on and walked out. But instead, they added that human element that, you know, he was surrounded and outnumbered. And, and I have to applaud once again the director on, on, an, on an outstanding achievement in that scene. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. Andy's good. He's good. And Mike, you did. I mean, the only scene you really had with Chuck was to, when he, when his character was chasing you uh, in, in the limousine. Yep. But did you? Uh, I mean, did you have any uh, time to speak with Chuck uh, behind the scenes or in between takes? Not a whole lot. Uh, the the time that I was that that I was around him, where we could sort of you know talk to each other, you know, person to person. Uh, I found him, you know, very cordial and uh, very, very sort of giving and very sort of, uh, 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 
how do I say it? Uh, uh, there's a there's a there's a phrase that I uh, a cheerleader for the show. Nice. Now, not that not that I would you know sort of say that necessarily in terms of you know what one would think of a cheerleader, but certainly somebody who comes in and is aware that this project relies on them. And in order for it to turn out to be the best, that you have to be concerned and you have to be aware of all that is around you in terms of creating uh, a, a situation where people can be comfortable in their creation. And, and that's, 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 how I, that's how I found him when I, was, uh, when I was, you know, just dealing with him, you know, on a person to person basis. He was, he was, he was aware, you know, and, and it was like, you know, this is, this is our project, you know. And you know what, Mike, um, one of the things that I find appealing about Chuck, when I think back to the 80s, when I was just discovering his films, I saw Lone Wolf McQuaid on Cinemax. That's the first time I ever saw Chuck. And uh, I remember going, the thing I liked about him the most was this soft side to the character mm-hmm, you know that mm-hmm. that Chuck can bring like with Molly in the scenes where he's concerned for her especially that yeah. big scene in the in, in the um you know jumping in the water off the bridge you know that's what I like about Chuck I mean he'll take you down but he's usually playing a character with a good heart mhm yeah yeah, well, you know, when the film was uh, uh, completed in production, Mike, um, and you got to see it on the big screen, uh, uh, what was your um, reaction to what you were seeing on the screen? I thought it was a really good movie, and I was proud to have been part of it. And I think that uh, uh, that feeling uh, translates to it being still such a popular, uh, you know, piece that uh, is uh, continues to be around. Uh, I mean, I, I, there, there are a couple of films where I, I, I get recognition in terms of, oh, you were in that film, and and Code of Silence is one of those films. It, it has legs. It's uh, it's 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 been around for a long time, and I, you know it's going to be around for a long time because it tells a real sort of you know basic story, and at the same time, as you as we said before, there are there are complications. Uh, there 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 are are several stories that are going on that are just as important in terms of their presence in the film as any one of the other uh, uh, storylines. Yeah. Well, and hopefully my own small way, Mike, I'm helping to uh, honor the legacy of the film uh, for all the reasons that you just said. Uh, I did want to conclude by asking you a final question. Uh, and that is because I just thought of this, Mike. Uh, since your character was not involved in these uh, scenes, were you aware of the police robot <laughs> that would assist Chuck at the end, which I really thought yeah. was so cool? Did Did you know yeah, that that yeah. was in the script, or was it a surprise later on? As far as I remember, I knew about it. I think it was in the script. I see. Uh, I don't. I don't remember right off the top of my head, but. Uh, I don't remember. I don't remember it being a secret. I see. And well, I think it sure I did bring a lot of excitement that, to the ending, didn't it? That was that was probably. I don't know. I, I, I would guess that was probably one of the first times that uh, that kind of a device was used, or or, or was 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 featured. Uh, but yeah, again, I don't know. Well, Mike, I want to thank you so much for sharing your memories uh, of Code of Silence and the character that you portrayed, Tony Luna. Uh, Thank you so much. I enjoyed every moment speaking with you. Well, I enjoyed it as well. Thank you. This concludes our demonstration. If you have further questions, our factory representative will be happy to answer them.
host Stephen Brittingham your comments and questions to Hollywood and Beyond Show at gmail.com. That is Hollywood and Beyond Show at gmail.com. Stephen looks forward to hearing from you soon.